Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to this free episode of it's TF. It's the free one. We are sans cans today. Sans cans. Sans cans. Not a headphone in sight. But there are two cans. Mm. There are two of us drinking from cans. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. We're on the, we're all, we're all we're on on the can. We're, we're on the cans of Pepsi Max. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm not, because I'm a professional. Uh, I would never <laughs> you dream You gotta of, stay straight edge. I gotta stay straight edge to get <laughs> no through these caffeine, notes. No caffeine, no aspartame. Diet Coke guy. Yeah, mm. that's right. Through. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We are also, we are Sans Alice today. We are. Uh, she is at the end of her holiday. Milo, you've just been on holiday. But also, I would like to welcome the newest member of the podcast, um, an old Argentinian man who just moved here and Ooh. says he, w- he fought in the Second World War. Oh, yeah. I think we should honor him immediately without asking any more questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. This is... This is this will never go. Uh, and he's a doctor. Yeah, he's a doctor. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. This guy's Joseph Joseph Mangle. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Welcome, the, to- the inventor of the clothing mangle. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. We are. We are. We're going to stand up. In fact, we're going to stand up and we're going to we're going to applaud. We're going to applaud him. And uh, I'm shaking my mm-hmm. head for no reason. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, uh, that's the thing, though, right? Is the uh, Canadian <laughs> um, Canadian Parliament obviously did not shake its head. To show that it disapproved. To show that they disagreed. Well, with that would the, have been rude, eh? <laughs> with the actions of guy stands up, you gotta clap him. That's the rules. <laughs> yeah, that's Canada. Yeah. Uh, of course, they would not have shaken their head to show they disagree with Yaroslav Hunka, who was uh, recently feted uh, in Canadian Yaroslav Parliament. Yaroslav Hunka, the inventor yeah. of the shisha pipe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was uh, feted in Canadian Parliament? Mm. Um, <laughs> would he smell bad? <laughs> if he's very old, he was a World War II veteran, <laughs> probably. Um, for his uh, fighting against the Russians uh, mm. on the side of the Ukrainians in 1943. Okay, that seems reasonable. Uh-huh. No need to look into that. I, I saw a very funny tweet about this where someone was like, it's just amusing how instinctually uh, Canadian members of parliament stood up and applauded someone on the basis that they fought against the Russians during World War II, suggesting their <laughs> understanding of World War II might be a little bit shaky. <laughs> yeah, you know, when the Germans and the Russians teamed up to fight against free... I swear yeah. to God, that is... Most mm. of most, especially Canadian politicians. I yeah. mean, R.I.P. Bottleman, but uh, where we, we sort of said, hey, a lot of demobilized SS guys, especially from the 14th Galician Division, mm. are just moved to Canada in the 1950s, uh, mainly by the owners of like the Sudbury nickel mine. Oh, right. Yeah, great. Yeah. Milo, you used to well, produce... they have a giant nickel. Yeah, yeah. You know all about Sudbury with the giant nickel. I do. And, you know, it's just like, this was going to happen. This was mm. absolutely going to happen. One of, like, the five guys, right, who is still alive... Yeah, in the burger chain. <laughs> yeah, that's what they named the burger <laughs> yeah, chain. Yeah, the after. Nazi burger chain. Oh, yeah. legally, we cannot say the five guys is a Nazi burger chain. Yeah, well, these or guys... Canadian. <laughs> these guys, these, like, these, you know, these, these, these this SS division... Mm. A lot of them were moved to Canada by like mining interests in the 1950s yeah. to break strikes. But they were in like the good SS, right? You know, like the S, like the cool, like the you cool know, S. the cool S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, cool yeah, the two uh-huh. cool S's. The yeah. the super mm. serious about a free Ukraine. That's what it stood yeah. for. Yeah. Um, they certainly didn't commit any atrocities of any kind. I presume. Oh, no, heavens, no. That would be the regular SS. Yeah. This is though. Th- there was no um, Operation Maple Clip that would have brought you Operation know, <laughs> Maple Clip. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think, I think that. that's from Bottleman. I, this is just yeah. all Bottleman. I mean, if you mm. want to talk about um, 
my podcast with Dan Beckner. Uh, I really do miss doing it. I like that the Canadian Operation Paper, like, because Operation Paperclip, you know, morals aside, it served a purpose. They were like, oh, we need a lot of expertise. We don't want this expertise to fall into the hands of someone else. So we're going to, these guys may have been Nazis, but we're going to bring them over because of these projects that they are uniquely qualified uh-huh. to assist us with. But whereas the Austri- the uh, the Canadian one was just like, we need some really right wing guys. <laughs> we just need some guys who are like more right wing than anyone we have. <laughs> like, they don't have any particular skills or like oh heavens no they don't know how to do anything other than just hate the jews that yeah. is their primary thing it's like, it's like yeah Werner von braun was not brought over uh in 1950 as probably like a demobilized ss unit to yeah. break a strike at a nickel he, mine he was brought over in spite of his politics whereas <laughs> the members of the ss galician division were brought over directly because of their politics yeah. and, but that's the because and because of their politics they're back yeah amazing yeah. And this is obviously not to say, you know, that, oh, well, therefore that like indicts Ukraine as like a country full of Nazis. Like, no, but the fact that it's just comes back to, I think, uh, Western generally and especially Canadian in particular, um, I'd say credulity that there is just a black, white, black and white, good guys, bad guys uh, situation here that runs through all of history. You've really got to differentiate between the bad SS and the cool Symbol SS. That's right. Well, the cool S and the bad S. We need to like figure out a better way of differentiating those two. Due to the geopolitical circumstances of Ukrainian nationalism as a concept, it does have a difficult history with Nazism. Uh, but yeah, it's not all. It's not all Nazi, but some of it is. Yes. And you've got to be. You've got to closely look at it to make sure you're not accidentally endorsing the Nazi bit. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's just it to me. It is hard to imagine. Right, that knowing what I know about Christia Freeland, uh, yeah. who was going to um, uh, like Ukrainian nationalist summer camps when she was in like a teenager and stuff, like whose grandfather edited uh, Krakowski Vishti in, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. in in Poland, the Nazi newspaper. Right, it's hard for me to believe that she would not have known that Yaroslav Hunka was a demobilized SS member. Yeah, her, and, her, her father actually recently distanced himself from Lawrence Fox. <laughs> <laughs> so, I published one article. <laughs> so, so just to just to note, you know, the uh, in addition to the um, uh, Canadian um, the Canadian real estate bubble now getting so bad that property is forty percent of the Canadian GDP. Right. Uh, to say, yeah, that we we said in in Bottleman, Dan and I, it will not be long before a demobilized SS. Uh, like fighter is brought up in front of Canadian Parliament and applauded by liberals who don't know or don't care. Amazing that the defunct Bottleman Bottleman lathe still hums with power. There you go. <laughs> There's a little bit left over in it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. last bottle man. Yeah, that's right. Don't know mm. what that means. He can now safely pop his top. Yeah. I, I was the Canadian member of Parliament who did shake his head to show that he disagreed with it. Yeah, that's right. But the camera wasn't placed on me, so... Just because you hate veterans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true, yeah, yeah. Anti-veterans of all kinds. I'm anti-old yeah. people, I'm anti-veterans. Did the guy spill a yogurt on himself afterwards? That would have been fun if he that did. would have been, very been a fun little reference. But that was just a little, a little you know, a, a little amuse-bouche. We got some more news, we got startup, we got article. The classic setup. Your three-course meal. Yeah, a delicious three-course meal. And that mm. was the amuse-bouche. <laughs> that was the little shot glass full of, like, tomato jelly with, um, like, a what? basil air. What? Mm. And you, you, the listener, may be asking, what is the charge? <laughs> uh-huh. So, I want to now bring it back to a friend of ours. Ooh. 
a very good Wait, the guy from Argentina? <laughs> uh, no, so the guy from Argentina, his mic's broken. He won't be saying much, but oh, okay. I'll expect him on subsequent episodes. Mm. Um, as, uh, uh, of course, Jan Marsalek. Oh, dialing in from the barrel. Uh-huh. He's, he's back. Now, I don't want to be in contempt of court, and some of this I translated from a German article, so what I'm going mm. to say is also corroborated in British press. Okay. Just know there is more to this that I can't say. There's more to this. You've got you to think outside the barrel yep. if you want to find out <laughs> what else is going on. So remember how Jan Marsalek had his friend who was like, hey, do you want a cool spy phone? Uh, the, the Bulgarian oh, guy, yeah, Mr. Yeah, yeah. Rusev? Mm. Well, uh, apparently Mr. Rusev has gotten uh, bigger. And oh, th- he's now, been working out? <laughs> he, he and four pals okay. uh, have been uh, arrested. Wait, so there's five guys. The five guys. These the are the five, five guys. guys. Yeah, <laughs> in the Bulgarian burger chain. Yeah, uh, this is. They've been. Uh, they've the now been arrested. Uh, well, operating in the UK as like a mm-hmm. ring targeting, uh, like, like on, targeting people on behalf of the Russian government. Okay. Uh, three men, two women, and uh, they. Uh, so, Rusev, the the main guy, alleged to be the main guy, um, was. Alleged to have organized and managed their this like f- group of five in like Southampton spying operations from the UK. Um, another friend of his, uh, Mr. Stoyanov, uh, was mostly an amateur mixed martial arts fighter who fights Great. in the UK. Amazing. Uh, and oh, red string here. How many degrees of separation are we from Andrew Tate right now? Oh, probably. <laughs> Mr. Stoyanov from his gym in Luton. <laughs> uh, another. <laughs> the best place for fighting in the UK, so I'm told. Vanya Gabarova runs... Okay. <laughs> I hardly know her, yeah. Uh, runs a beauty salon in West London called Pretty Woman. Okay. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, basically from the set of people just do nothing. Right, okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Uh, they all... Uh, <laughs> Uh, they are all alleged. By the, oh, by the way, it's in the reporting in the BBC. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, she received a ten thousand pound COVID loan for the British government. Perfect, which is fun. Who didn't in this yeah, extended universe? Right. Who did everyone not? Everyone did. Mm. I, I don't even think that's bad. Like, I think everyone should get those. I just think it's really funny. And yeah. It's like <laughs> she was like, well, yeah, for my nail business. Um, and that we've got to give it like the Bulgarian spies. It's hard times for them right now. And and, and what they did was they. Is the uh, police have found forged documents, press cards, and clothes with inscriptions of the Discovery Channel. So they were what? alleged to be going around dressed up as the Discovery Channel, <laughs> impersonating no, so the just, Discovery like, people Channel. from the Discovery Channel, right. making documentaries, mm. but like of presumably critical national infrastructure. I don't know what. Yeah, we're doing a na- we're doing a, uh, a, a national uh, fuck National Geographic National Geographic thing. Wait, wasn't it the Discovery, Discovery Channel? Discovery Channel. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah, we're doing also the dis- National Geographic as well. They had press yeah, cards. We're doing a Discovery Channel piece about the inside of MI6, and then the guys on the gate are like, "Well, we have to let you in. Mm. It's educational." I suppose there are some ancient aliens too, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the um. And the five defendants are being accused of being part of a conspiracy with a person known as Jan Marsalek. That's so funny. Who I must now add is not being charged. Right, okay. Uh-huh. A person known as Jan Marsalek is such a, such a tip of the iceberg sentence. Yeah. Is this what like, else it, has he been known as? What's the next case going to be like he's going to kind of refer to himself as like FKA, like Jan Marsalek? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's been seen out with Matty Ely from the 1975s. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this uh, the basically the uh, 
from, from as long as we've been talking about Jan Marsalek, we've been wondering like, what is this guy? What makes him tick? Mm. Um, you know, it, it's very it's been very clear from the outset that this is a guy who was um, really really fond of being a spy, but in a way mm. that made him terrible at being a spy. Oh yeah, classic. Which I can only then conclude is that again, he is not being charged in the case, but. Mm. If he if they were if these five were working for a person known as Jan Marsalek, he seems to be taking on a kind of four lions energy mm. of just recruiting a lady from a who owns a beauty salon in West London and a mixed martial arts fighter. Well, he's too stupid to be a spy. That seems to be the underlying current of most things we learn about Jan Marsalek. Is mm. like they're not even charging him because they're like this man is so incompetent that he's actually not managed to do anything illegal. <laughs> <laughs> It's um obviously we won't know what he actually did, but and, and mm. again the, the people he defrauded uh, were mostly uh, German investors, and you know the he got the protection of the German government, but that says much more of the about the credulity of the German government that um it was so transparently fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That now you know it, it, that the um the five Bulgarian lions here again mm. were uh again penetrated while like giving him a fucking like. You know, that fancy phone that doesn't even do anything cool. Perfect. Yeah. Which is like really secure. But like something I think honestly has gone quite wrong in Germany ever since energy stopped being cheap. Mm. Like it's, there's um, something rotten in Germany. Well, there's this. Yeah. <laughs> the first time. Yeah. And, um, but there's I don't this isn't this isn't I didn't even put this in the notes, but there's just been something that's been like on my mind mm. recently for the last few days, which is I read in the FT that the German Bundesbank um has hired Boston Consulting Group to try and turn it into a more like lean and commercially focused organization. Oh boy. It's it's hard enough to take something called the Bundesbank seriously, mm. but especially when it's brought in management consultant. Mm. The government shouldn't be bringing in management consultants. I know the British government does this a lot, which is yet another reason why I don't take the British government seriously. So we they <laughs> what they said basically is that the um the consultants who are working at, at the Bundesbank have zero knowledge of central banking, and so all of the staff have to explain everything to them. Right. Um, <laughs> and, but uh, then once they've taken on that information, they'll use their ma magical private sector wizardry to mm. revolutionize the Bundesbank. Yeah, of course. Mm. Well, he said, um, BCG, said one insider, quoted in the FT, does not have a clue how a central bank works and what its legal duties are. <laughs> They've compared the work on monetary policy to a car-making production line, which is complete nonsense. Amazing. Okay, uh, perfect. Well, it's because they, like, They're like, going to do just-in-time interest rate adjustments? <laughs> yeah, well, you, everyone gets a custom interest rate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're introducing Japanese management terminology into the Bundesbank. Yeah. You're going to be doing Kaizen Blitz. No, not the kind of Blitz you're used to. New, new kind. No, no, when you last were allied with the Japanese, not that kind either. No, no, no Krieg, no Krieg. Yeah, yeah. This is um, <clears throat> but that what they're doing is a modernization process. Uh, this is the Bundesbank speaking. A modernization process aimed at transforming the bank into a future-proof, agile, and digital organization that needs to respond swiftly to complex and evolving challenges. But I really... Surely it's already digital. It's Germany. Yeah, but there. No, everything's on paper in Germany still. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, they make all the precision machines that machine the parts to make the other precision machines, but they all their order forms are in paper because for whatever reason, Germans just don't trust the computer. But the paper is great. Uh, oh yeah, good. Very paper. well engineered. Yeah, it's great engineering. You, mu you must understand that when you have all of your records written on paper, you can't always set light to them if you really need to. <laughs> you can't write the cool S 
on a computer. You have to do it on mm-hmm. good paper. Yeah. Just don't do two of them. <laughs> right. One more bit of news before we move on, uh, which is, of course, this is something I, I have specifically for you, Milo. Milo. Ooh. Uh, which is last week, while we were all on holiday, mm-hmm. you didn't realize it, you out there in podcast land, because we pre-recorded some episodes. But yes, everyone was away. We weren't doing it for a week. Um, was the march of XL bully owners, and crucially, oh, yeah. not XL bullies. <laughs> No, no, they didn't want to take that risk, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Why not bring your dog on the protest about how safe your dog is? <laughs> yeah, I, I was obsessed with this. I mm. may not have been physically here, but I was mentally here. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just, it's so, it's so good to be, first of all, because to have, basically, you know, that everyone who owns an XL bully, the thought process they went through when deciding to buy that dog is what is the most, like, obviously dangerous looking dog I can legally buy and then now it's very funny having to watch all of those people back form a reason they got that dog that isn't that like I don't really like I don't really feel particularly at risk from the XL bullies you know I'm not a toddler who lives outside of Betfred like I don't find that that you know it's it's not I don't have strong opinions <laughs> on the XL bully but it was very funny to watch the march where it was like Look, there's no bad XL bullies. Some have eaten toddlers, but it's just because they have bad owners. <laughs> and then none of which are here, by the way. Yeah, and then to prove that, they assembled a group of people who it wouldn't be right to judge people by their appearance, but if we were to do that. <laughs> they're the sort of people who if their dog was attacking you and they turned up, you would not be relieved. <laughs> One of my favorite lines from that protest is the video. But it was just like, yeah, but there's pedophiles on the streets, but they're going after our dogs. It's like what is right. there are. And it's true. I was just like pedophiles. pedophiles. Like, yeah, they're going after the dog. Well, I suppose if they could if they could identify pedophiles by just being, mm. yeah, it's humans, mate. We gotta lock away all <laughs> the, the humans. The analogy would be if you were allowed to own a pedophile <laughs> and like walk it around the park on a lead. And the, yeah, they would probably like that. There's then, no bad pedophiles, only bad owners. <laughs> like all that and then if there was a pedophile ban, you would just simply have to have your pedophile neutered and, and muzzled. <laughs> So, Which I guess probably would neutralize the threat from a pedophile. So, perfect. Yeah. We're coming up with policy here. We're solving more than one problem here at a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We're making a fairer world. We're solving that one lady's XL bully criticism <laughs> by, by, by by saying, "Okay, fine. We'll deal with the pedophiles the yeah. same way we deal with the bulldogs." Also, they ran into um, they ran into a rejoin the EU march mm. and yelled at them and called them all traitors. You know what? Fine. Yeah, I I wish they brought the bullies. To be yeah, honest. yeah, that really that really would have been a- Alien versus Predator, FPPE versus the XL bullies. Mm. Uh, the, the acronyms, too many acronyms for me. What mm. I liked though was um the warning: don't bring your dog to the XL bully protest march. It will kill people. No, because it was like the police will antagonize you and seize your dog. It's like the first time any of these people have ever had to like follow safe protesting advice because. You know, the the equivalent, right? The um, let's say that the demographically equivalent thing, or the assumption being, of course, is would have been like the save our statues march. Yeah, it's yeah. like there was just a bunch of guys who were like, yeah, of course I'm going to bring cocaine to the protest. I want to have fun. <laughs> yeah, know? of course. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring the flare to put in my ass. <laughs> different pro- different thing, but still. <laughs> yeah, but vibe wise, yeah. and it was like, oh no, the police are going to seize the dogs. Gotta be careful out there. We got, we're trying. We're gonna de-arrest Terror the big dog. Oh, 
Oh god, that that was also very funny. I saw that someone had looked up the names of the dogs because they're all like purebred dogs. They all have like official like registered names and stuff, and like the names of lots of them were like <laughs> unstoppable genocide and just like <laughs> like yeah, it's me. He's a lovely dog. Yeah, he's called a uh, child killer four thousand. <laughs> That's just his legal name. We call him Killer for short. Yeah, we call him Child for short because he's my child. Yeah, that's right. Uh, XL Bully. It stands for uh, extra, extra loving. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 Bully uh, is more like wow. Teddy Roosevelt would have said it like extra loving. Bully, Bully for that. So did the did the XL Bully march? Um, did it did it you know win any consent? Did did the people of the UK turn around and say you know what they're right? The XL well, bully is much misunderstood. That's the, the XL bully march and the rejoin march achieve much the same thing, which mm. is that the people on them getting on trash future. <laughs> the people on them are uh, sort of annoyed at they they are annoyed at the politics of the of the country. They do not really understand much of how it works, and they're just going to go and and yell about it for a little while to get their energy out. Yeah. Yeah, the XL bully thing, it reminded me a lot of, like, the gun guys in America, mm-hmm. where they're just, like, when you just, like, you, you you have a gun because you think they're cool, right? And then when people are like, I'm not sure you should be able to have that gun, then you have to come up with a reason that seems sensible why you have the gun. So then, you, you know... And then, yeah, and then you're sort of retort... Then the retorts are sort of like these kind of insane scenarios that you then have to debate again. Because, like, again, in that video when I think... I think it was done by Joe and, like, the reporters sort of asked, like, okay, like, in what situation would, like, you know, what 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 if... It was it was it was something along the lines of like okay how do you sort of respond to the idea that this dog is dangerous and one of them goes like oh no you couldn't like you know he's really loving really caring like you know he does, he wouldn't hurt anyone unless like someone was kind of being aggressive towards it and then they ask like well okay what happens if like the dog thinks the person is being aggressive it's like oh, I wouldn't want to know <laughs> right? but I think I I mean what why why was what I was going to add carnage, mate, to be so because like I don't want to discount or I think like it mm. there is a more complicated. There's like a broader phenomena sort of happening, and the XL bully thing I think is like, you know, there, there is like a lot of amusing parts in that for sure. But there were some of the owners who kind of said that, well, you know, in my neighborhood, like the police don't do anything, like they don't really protect mm. me, and so I see this dog as like my form of protection. Um, and like so, with, you know, regardless of that logic, like there's some there's something within that which does sort of speak to this broader idea of like, okay, you have a broad sense of disenchantment and this broad sense of also you know, the government and the institutions that are there sort of supposedly to protect you are not going to do anything. And pretty much everyone has sort of accepted that that's just not going to be the case. Mm-hmm. And so I do have some sympathy with the idea that like, okay, people would invest, people would buy these dogs and not just like, I think not even just XL bullies, but like other types of like aggressive but legal dogs, like do so because for them it's like, well, this is the only form of security that I really have. And, you know, there's also the sense of isolation and the idea that like, you know, a, any dog is there to, uh, you know, a, a dog can be there for companionship. And a lot of these types of dogs, like you can buy like, you know, on the black market for lack of, a, you know, they're like easy, very much easier to access in some ways. So I think there are like broader social phenomena that are go- that's going on. Um, that does explain in part like why there is a the defensiveness towards these kinds of dogs, which can't be like which, which shouldn't be like immediately discounted. Mm. Mm. No, of course, but it's the uh, the march is amusing. The mar- there are there oh, are yeah. definitely some amusing <laughs> parts there. Um, 
I I'm sad that Alice isn't here because there were lots of situations where uh, or there were lots of instances of like owners wearing their dog's collar. Um, oh, that is that is kinky. I couldn't bring my dog because he was busy. <laughs> uh, so I'm here as my dog. All right. All right. We got we got we could do two. One of two startups. today. Okay. One is called, we're going to do the other one in the bonus. So you're, okay. you listener are going to hear both of them. You are going to run through both of them. The question is, which do you want to do today? Do you want to do erudite? So erudite without an E mm -hmm. or base? Mm. I'm very intrigued by erudite. Yeah, let's do that. You want to do erudite? Okay. You've chosen the evil one, not the stupid one. Ah, ah okay. okay. Uh-huh. Erudite. Shaping the blank experience. Okay. That's not helpful at all. Education. Now in your hands. It's in your hands. Reading? Like Joan Ryan. No. An empowered blank fuels business success. An empowered blank fuels business success. Uh, XL bully. Yeah, an <laughs> wait, like an empowered XL bully who's able to like make management decisions? Yeah, like I've been giving my XL bully roids, and now he's- Finally, someone did it. Yeah, he's really helping with uh, the business negotiations mm. that I'm in because I just let him into the boardroom. Well one, well, one great business idea would be to bring an Excel bully into the office um, and mm. just to release it at random times uh, because of the adrenaline that your employees would get and the fear that they would have might cause them to work faster and more efficiently. Know your workforce and hit your business goals. Um, it must be like a, it's a, is it like a sort of brain related thing, cognitive <laughs> tech tech of some sort? Well, it's an AI, uh, excuse me, it is an AI software as a service uh, platform that helps leaders improve culture and productivity. Uh, okay. So is it like a spying software? Yeah, you, you basically <clears throat> got it. Uh, it almost always is. Yeah. They say, uh, culture is not just about employee resource groups and pizza parties, which became clear as chief people officers gained a seat at the executive table. Erudit is giving leaders the tech to maintain the best workforce at top performance. But how do you think it works? And also. Because it's now obviously the year that it is, and and stuff is off the blockchain, it's now an AI program. Right. Yes. Um, I mean, you could never really <laughs> put that on the block. I mean, I'm sure someone probably put like tried to tokenize HR, but it was yeah. all it always loaned because like blockchain was all about fragmenting things and allowing things mm. to communicate in a fragmented but organized way. That was the idea, anyway. Right. The AI is always about um, bringing more, more and more into one umbrella. It's about large institutional control. Mm. Um, that's also basically the <clears throat> so does it like uh, it has like camera footage of you at your desk and an, a an AI looks at you and decides if you're working or not not quite not quite that's more of like a, a shift worker industrial production thing because we have mm -hmm. talked about companies that are like that before yeah, yeah. that's a little bit like Cloud Chef is kind of like that you know it's just mm -hmm. it's you go and you work in front of the cameras and everything you do is monitored and checked and you don't even know why you're doing it you just know twist your hand like this it becomes like a religious ceremony in this case no erudite connects with companies internal data through google workspace slack teams zoom etc to give executives real time work environment reports that are segmented by team so you can know the attitude of your sales team and you can if what else do you have to do if you're a CEO? You can see the attitude bar of your sales team go up and down in real time based on how they're messaging one another. Right, okay. Mm. So it's a, it is originally also a Spanish company, which Ooh. feels wrong. Erudito. Yeah, but it fe well, it feels wrong because this, Spain is like leads the world in like... Goofing off. Yeah, Having it, a little yeah. sleep in the middle of the day. Which is good. <clears throat> that's a fine thing to do. Uh, maybe that's why. Maybe it's like produced, you know, like the... It's like that thing of like, you know, like the guy, the guy who went to 
Eaton who becomes like a Trotskyite or whatever, you know, because it's just to piss off dad. But it's that like the Spanish version of that where it's like he's so annoyed by everyone having a little sleep in the afternoon. He's like, no, I will build a computer to stop this. <laughs> we will stop everybody napping. So our psychology-backed AI. Okay. Okay, yeah, cool. So unlike all those other AIs that are only backed by sociology, economics, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, English literature. And yeah, just my psychology. AI's got a business studies degree. And just psychology, nothing else. Yeah, yeah that's only psychology. It's, it's if it's an AI with psychology. Um, in, it, it takes unbiased workforce insights. Here's how it works. They have AI models trained by psychologists that extract mm-hmm. and classify chat messages sent between employees. A demo page on the company's website shows them detecting the following um, exchange, which now, because Milo is sitting next to me, I would like to do in a dramatic reading with him. Okay. This is, again, how they imagine people talk. Hey, Martin, I'm so stressed because of the merger. They're giving me all this workload. This sucks. I'm always saying it. I get what you mean, but I just think about all the good things that come from this smiling glasses emoji. That's very easy to say for you since you've been here since forever and everybody loves you. Just give them some time. I love these new challenges now, exclamation mark. Wow, people really talk like this. I can't handle it anymore, to be honest. And then there's like a there's like cross-eyed, like gasping face. Let's talk to Susan. She might have a plan to take some of this pressure off you back. I don't really, I mean, that's the one realistic thing. Mm. I don't really care anymore, FYI. I'm looking at other jobs already, just in case. So number one, we're going to take that to the West End, I think. Yeah, of course, um, yeah. How did they get this transcript of the Trash Future group chat? Yeah, so. Yeah, we're merging with the Romaniacs. Yeah, fine. Oh, it's called Oh God, What Now? Now? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, it's going to be called Oh God, What Future in a minute. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you and Ian Dunt fighting over the showrunner position. I'll fucking, I could take him. I thought you were going to say, I'll fuck him. I was like, wow, <laughs> no. you really escalated that. No, I will not. <laughs> um, so what they did with that uh, transcript is they highlighted some of the phrases like, I'm so stressed, I can't handle this. I love mm. these new challenges. Also, they highlighted. <laughs> um, Who doesn't? They, they basically said, okay, well, we want to start modeling our AI on the five big personality traits. Uh, Openness, discipline, extroversion, co-op- cooperativity, neuroticism. I think those are still a bit... I, I'm, a, I'm very skeptical of ways to like... I prefer love languages myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Attachment styles. <laughs> and there's obviously star sign as well, which yeah. some companies well, prefer. The, I think these, or this, or like a Myers-Briggs thing, it's like a, a lot of it is just sort of, you know, a bit, a, bit, a bit up in the air, right? But they said, no, we want to make our own version we okay. want to make a proprietary personality model that you, you okay, that awesome. You, the CEO, should be able to measure your employees against. Uh, and they said they called this the semantic personality analysis theory. I right. Think it's the this is this is something I also enjoy. Right? Is we didn't lose, um, and in the in the changeover from like the Gilded Age to now, right? Mm-hmm. The great rationalization of the 20th century. We didn't actually lose that kind of rich weirdo would be like, I've come up with a new bisection of the human mind or whatever. I guess I've come up with a new bisexual. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, a try one. Um, And this one can drive. (laughs) (laughs) Right, it's the, 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 we haven't lost that. Yeah. It's just that they've been filtered into business doublespeak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, So they they created a new map of the mind, essentially. Yeah, of course. Um, That, uh, and so they said, we must handle models as d- dynamic belief systems, calling our theory semantic personality uh, analysis. It states that we are the beliefs that we are constantly repeating and that we act upon ourselves, others in the world, according to that speech. Therefore, we do not try to enclose workers in a global category. 
So isn't that nice? They're, they're not trying to enclose workers in one personality te- kind of personality test. They're mm. allowing workers to be evaluated on any number of personality tests that they couldn't possibly <laughs> understand. Yeah, of course. That's the other thing. If, if you know, right, that your company is rolling out Erudit, what do you do? You'll find out how to talk in messages in ways that Erudit wants to hear. Mm. Yeah. You start sending messages like, love PowerPoint. PowerPoint tonight, queen, I emoji. Yeah. <laughs> so we offer metrics on different aspects of worker hourly mental states, considering their historical behavior and cultural context. My hourly mental states. Yeah. Therefore, Erudit does not box employees into globally defined categories, rather offering a different a- a metrics on different aspects of hourly mental states. Uh, we design all sorts of scrapers to get texts from books, poems, songs, dialogues from movies and series, social media f- and forums, and hired a team of psychologists to tag them based on their theory and the metrics that we knew were of interest to human resources managers. So I only have to ask, what books and movies did they use? All the Harry Potter books. Yeah. Like, I, I, apparently, Greg from Accounts is saying that he's husband, uh, is his husband to a murdered wife and father to a murdered son, and he will have his vengeance in this life or the next. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's feeling vengeful. Mm. <laughs> I want to know what their like, global HR categories are. You've got uh, hungry, horny, <laughs> unionizing. Yeah. So at the same time, we designed an algorithm based on AI to create word vectors that encode their meaning from co-occurrence in the same context. Um, Meaning, basically, mm. the closer these words often occur together, the more associated they are with certain personality traits. But the issue, like, if you're just thinking in corporate doublespeak, then all that is legible to you is corporate doublespeak. Yeah. Right? And then everything is being evaluated from that kind of very, you could, is being evaluated from the ideal of corporate doublespeak. It is... Mm. For all the, there are the, everyone worried about 1984 because, like, I don't know, there's a Stonewall flag or whatever. Yeah. Like, a lot of that stuff around, like, Newspeak or whatever, it's actually is happening. Oh, it's yeah, just, big time. It's happening here. They're all this emoji. Is, it's all weird emojis, not even the good ones. Yeah. Mm. This is where that is happening. Yeah, they're not even using the 100 emoji. <laughs> no one uses flames. No, they do use flames. Uh, do they yeah. use the little, the little flamenco dancing woman? No, they don't. That's, that's gone now. Bygone era. Yeah, it expresses too many joyful concepts. Yeah. Uh, right? But the, um, the, the, if you want to see a picture of the future, really, yeah. it's just understanding what the biases of the AI that is monitoring or governing you is. Well, they're, they're answering this question as to like what the future of office work is. because, And I've been thinking about this a little bit um, over the time we've been doing these episodes. Because to me, it feels like there's this contradiction, right? Like... If you're working in an office and if you're working in some sort of basically an email job, the the likeliness is, is that you've been told in some capacity that your job is basically just about to be automated, right? Mm. Like effectively they are waiting for the AI to make you redundant. And it's just and it's more like you, it's more of a matter of time than anything else. It doesn't really matter about how good you are at your job or how like good you are at doing a spreadsheet or an email, because ultimately like the AI tools are at least as the logic goes it's going to be better than you so in the meantime like what is what's the point of you being in an office right um and it feels like all these ai tools are really rooted in the in the sort of concept of measuring performance Mm -hmm. but you know this isn't performance where it's just like you know your standard kpi metrics or whatever which again are bullshit but for different reasons it I, I've seen it sort of now being seeped into language. And so it seemed like these type, like Erudit, Erudit, seems to be like this good example of how 
you can once again add like a bullshit metric to employees that they're never going to like fully meet but this time it's monitoring the way that they communicate mm. and in so doing kind of creating or at least like kind of promoting a type of um corporate speak which is I, I think as you mentioned like is friendly to the ai tools that are eventually going to replace them mm. but also creates a different kind of office environment in which everyone sort of knows they're not really doing anything and they're waiting to be phased out but there is still this need to convince people that they're being productive and so you end up having these very weird conversations where you have like sentences such as i love these new challenges with an emoji with a mm. with sunglasses right yeah well it's the the concept i think the, the concept i've been thinking about a lot recently yeah. when it comes to ai and these kinds of tools is legibility uh because the whole the whole thing about ai right is that there's there's two um uh, two I mean, many dimensions you can think about about it right mm -hmm. but the two dimensions i'm most interested in are modality and legibility so modality is how is it how is the is the software able to consume information images sound text blah 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 right how in and then legibility is how does it index it so is it and who does it make and who is does it make something legible for so for example uh management might have access to every single slack chat but unless they're searching for a time and, and an exchange there's too much information for them to see right it is it may be there but it's not really legible to them these it is not and and all of this information such as like employee engagement or whether they're unhappy or whatever that's all there but it's not really legible to them and you know, at the same time you think okay well what was the there, there have been revolutions in workplace legibility in the last like couple hundred years and those are things like the assembly line those are things like taylorism those are things like the creation of hr departments those are the creation mm -hmm. of things like of the open office the, all of this is allows whatever management cares about it allows it to be more legible to them and if you are legible to someone then mm. they have a lever of power over you right because the, they may erudit says oh no 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 we're not spyware because actually workers are less productive when they think they're being spied on this is just so bosses can know where to put extra effort wink wink right mm. they say oh, we, oh they say oh no 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 but the problem is if if you are legible to someone, right? If they can understand you, if they can understand what action you're going to take based on what, if they know what you're thinking, it's things that you may not have said, then they that is a lever of power that they have. And so this is don't be legible, become ungovernable, start behaving so <laughs> erratically and unpredictably at work that they cannot discipline. Well, like you. a kind of behavioral dazzle camouflage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they call you in for a meeting in your boss's office, go into the staff kitchen and take a shit on the floor. <laughs> start speaking in Arabic immediately. <laughs> Do the Jared Leto Joker thing. Just like give him a mystery box. Yeah. Yeah. I do, I'm always fascinated as well by like whenever, and I think this is an echo of like the crypto and blockchain companies we were talking about kind of last season. Whenever a company claims to be AI, it doesn't really seem to be meaningfully doing anything that is per se AI. It just seems to be like a computer. Like when it's like, oh, well, it can read all of this text and then it can like look out for keywords and associate or like key phrases and associate them with a relevant emotion that we've tagged or whatever. And it's like, yeah, but that's not really AI. Like a spreadsheet could do that. 
Like that's kind of well, it's. I guess the this is the argument that AI is just a significant, a sufficiently large and complicated enough spreadsheet with sufficient rules, right? But yeah, then that that's the then you get in you get sort of into the weeds about well, what is it? What is consciousness, yeah. etc. They're, they're sort of sprinkling this like branding magic mm -hmm. on something you could do with a computer ten years ago because they want their funding, right? Yes, yeah, of course, because this this isn't really ever made to be marketed to anyone, or it's not made if, if it's made to be bought. Sure, fine. But the job of every startup founder in the AI era, as it was in the crypto era, as it was in the sort of general social disruption era, whatever, whatever, mm. it's the same job, which is just get that series A, B, C, and D. Yeah. Get your investors to give you money. Yeah, exactly. A line of question marks, profit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not even question marks needed. It's just yeah. one, two. Um, AI, when it's applied to production, isn't about automation, it's about de-skilling. And in this case, you know, AI as it's applied to people management isn't about automation, the removal of bias, so much as it is about the denial of accountability. It's about being able to say, well, sorry, uh, the, the, your engagement score has dropped from an 80 to a 76, and to keep working in this, uh, in, in this department, you need at least a 78. I didn't do it, sorry, but you're gone now. I'm now fascinated by the idea of HR Skynet. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Connor, you are not fitting in with the workplace ethos. <laughs> <laughs> and so they had a blog post that they said, fuck off with your surveillance software, said a comment on our digital ad. It's the most hostile reaction to our people analytics solutions so far. <laughs> I can guarantee it will not be the last if it ever gets deployed. CEO anywhere. was quoted as saying, ay caramba. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, as, w as workplaces move online, managers fear to drop a productivity and a slew of solutions to monitor employee performance made its way to the market. A slew. Thankfully, more and more leaders believe that investing in the well-being of the workforce is also an investment in the well-being success of the entire organization. Still, the reality is that surveillance software exists and can be used against employees if top management allow it. This is our attempt at learning about and directly addressing the elephant in the room. So they're saying, yeah, it, of course. Of course it, it surveils you, but they say, with great power comes great responsibilities. And it applies to uh, that big uh, elephant. Nice. It applies to Spider-Man's superpowers as much as it does to AI and every new technology. Aww. AI can work wonders for humanity. Engineers have developed an, an AI to empower persons with hearing disabilities with an app that translates text to sign language. It's like, yeah, fine. It is pretty a, a computer that can make its own inferences based on like multimodal communication. That's pretty impressive. But it doesn't change the fact. Yes, AI has allowed a deaf person to hear, as this mm. claims here. Great, uh, or or has let's say helps deaf like deaf people um, sort of navigate daily life. But doesn't. Yeah. But that doesn't change the fact that what you're doing is spying on employees. Yeah. Oh, look, it's also done this good thing. So therefore, the thing I'm doing can't be evil. It's like, say, look, this hammer built this house. It couldn't possibly be used as a weapon. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And then they, of course, quote a bunch of employees who are like, I love being monitored. It's great. Look, the, the, yeah, look, AI can help a, a, you know, a deaf person to hear. Uh, this, this guy fought the Russians. Don't worry about when. <laughs> so, last thing. Anonymity is key and has been used since time immemorial to oppose power and even topple regimes. Say the HR spyware makers. Wow, this is a really... They're going broad here. Could employees use anonymity to their advantage as well? Anonymous metrics and even conversation topics inform leaders while protecting the identity of workers. So, yeah, you could be like, but what if, what if I get listened in on... And I say something that the government could improve on. What if, what if I get listened in on by like the NSA and the Patriot Act? And mm. I say, you know what? They should fix the damn potholes. <laughs> and then what do you know? 
o- overcomes the municipal yeah, works. The NSA is like Mr. President. Mr. We've <laughs> overheard a lot of disgruntled people about the potholes. We've been listening in on the phone calls of Sir Rod Stewart. <laughs> All right, anyway, anyway, I, I want to finish up uh, with a quick reading. Alistair Heath, I think, might be Britain's most insane columnist. Yeah, and it's a league table. Mm. You know, he's gone very insane because I feel like there were some that were just like always there. Yeah, well, but, of course, Brendan, who could who could forget? Yeah, but he because I had some interactions with him when I was a young budding journalist, and I may have interviewed at the newspaper he was editing at the time, and may have had an interaction with him, and he was seemed normal. And if you like read the stuff that he wrote, like he's just kind of like a normal kind of. You know, his his politics have always sucked, obviously, but he's kind of, you know, for the most part, he's just sort of a finance columnist uh, mm. talking about, like, how markets need to be more free and everything. Yeah. And then at some point, I think, post-pandemic, he wrote the column, which was really about how he had given up everything and how we need, like, Jesus back. And that's when you sort of realize that, oh, you've, okay, so you've, you've been, you've been on the computer, you've been Mm -hmm. looking at some posts and Mm -hmm. now you're not, now now your brain's not going back to normal. You'll need Jesus, says Alistair Heath. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think, but what I was going to say is I think that's how you sort of need to understand it. It was like, at some point he's kind of understood that like all the politics that he stood for and became, was, was very influential in doing like, especially during the Cameron austerity is, has kind of now affected him and he's freaking out about it. Mm. Well, yeah. so let's see what he says. Uh, I didn't know this, but Lair and Brown still rule Britain. Rishi Sunak's only hope uh, is to a crush spectra, them. A spectre haunts, uh, haunts the UK. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, um, and it's Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. It's like, mm. Tony Blair still does haunt Britain. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially <laughs> West London. Yeah. Um, yeah, it feels as though they, you know, they, they think that uh, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair did a kind of like... Um, uh, Putin Medvedev switcheroo with like the conservative government. Well, like, mm. they're just they're still there in the background. They're waiting to come back. Well, I think the um the the argument here, right, and it's one that we've sort of we've seen increasingly as the conservative party has fewer, I say, things to do, and and how mm. like we're, how true conservatism we realize has never been tried because every yeah. time the a new person gets in promising to do true conservatism they sort of run up against the fact that much of that is just marketing material and what they're actually going to do is very conservative, very reactionary and very painful, but like that it will never meet, match the dreams of think tankers and columnists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might just collapse the economy. Yeah, but... well, that's because it, was it wasn't tried or it was sabotaged. Yeah, of course, yeah. by the woke banks. Uh-huh. So in this, so Alistair Heath writes, despite 13 years of Tory rule, a hell of a start. Britain remains trapped in a dysfunctional paradigm shaped by Tony Blair and Gordon Brown. Actually, a beautiful second clause as well. Despite 13 years of Tory rule, Britain remains trapped in a dysfunctional paradigm. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> what an interesting framing. Yeah. Uh, they, Br- Blair and Brown transformed Britain far more comprehensively than anybody realized at the time, empowered by a nomenclature of lawyers, bureaucrats, and cultural propagandists committed to entrenching the revolution and succeeded in bamboozling Tory wets into believing that their brand of technocratic social democracy was the only morally acceptable way to govern. A lot going on here. Mm. We've had a lot of technocratic social democracy in the last 13 years. Mm. Oh, yeah. The Tories are always making pragmatic decisions. That's what I would say about them. They're never doing anything crazy that makes no sense. The Tories are all about looking at the data and choosing the best course of action and damn the electorate. That's them. Technocrats (laughs) to the end. 
the um so i find uh, the 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 real reason i want to read this article was the second paragraph though mm-hmm. which is uh the fashionable attempts at rehabilitating blair are absurd again that's true that is yeah. literally true that's... i don't know how fashionable they are but there certainly are attempts yeah uh, but, yeah, I, did, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't impressed by his uh, London Fashion Week uh, uh, runway show, but you know, that was just me. The moribund NHS probably just the- wearing a gigantic ID card. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have for the next episode. They've released a policy paper on how they want Starmer to do the ID cards. They're back on it. He just can't. It's the fucking white whale for Tony Blair. He will never get over ID cards. We're going to talk about it in, in okay. the next episode. So sign up for the TF uh, Patreon if you want to mm. hear us talk about, if you want to hear us go through that, well, if you want to hear me go through that policy paper and you want to hear the rest of them hoot at me while I do it. Mm. Uh, yes, the moribund NHS, probably the worst health system in the Western world. Why is that? Yeah. Um, our inane anti-house building planning system dreamt up by old labor. Woke neo-Marcusean ideology was first promoted by labor governments from the 1960s. Hey, what the fuck does neo-Marcusean mean? Herbert Marcuse, one of the Frankfurt School. Oh, okay. What's uh-huh. neo-Marcusean? That's what I'm confused about. What? What? What's that? Well, I don't know what like old Marc. Was he talking specifically about like OG Marcusean? Marcuse like like wrote about the um like, like the. It's a flattening experience of living. Kind of like he would probably have a lot to say, actually, about like a people's awareness that they're being watched by AI shape the way they communicate to one another, right? Mm. So he wrote about like the flattening of, of life in an industrial society, right? how that becomes hopeless. I don't know. I don't know how that relates to housing. It's possible neither does Alice D. <laughs> like there, there's no neo Marcusianism. Uh, that's on the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Yeah, and there's not a bunch of guys with shaved heads who call themselves Neo-Marcusian. Maybe he's just trying. Well, maybe he's especially object. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he's just trying to like carve a new, carve a new sort of thing for himself because everyone sort of got taken like Neo-Marxists and stuff, right? And like they're starting to sort of take on mm. Foucault and everything. But he's yeah. just been like, well, who hasn't been tried yet? Mm. Yeah, and of course, um, old Marcusians taken because yeah. that's just guys who went to Marlborough. <laughs> well, he meant Marx and he wrote, wrote Marcuse instead. I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but okay, go go for it. Well, Look. apparently, since the 1960s, when Herbert Marcuse was actually writing and he wouldn't be a neo-Marcusean, uh, labor governments were promoting. I don't know what exactly that would have been, Yeah, of course. Uh, it seems I, very specific. Herbert Marcuse was primarily a cultural critic. Does, does he? I mean, yeah. I mean, the other, I don't know what he would say about house building of the NHS. The only other thing which would have been me, which had been more of a good bit, would be like if he had sort of going from like one dimensional man to like one dimensional person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that would have been a good pronouns like yeah. bit to put in. And... Alistair Heath, get us for punch up. That's right. Uh, Tory MPs may have been in office, but Labour mm. ideas have been in power. It's the, it's the the Labour ideas, of course, are. Our weak economic growth dragged down by tax regulation, a destructive monetary policy, and insufficient investment. The slowdown began in 2005, but the Tories have pushed more of the same anti-free market policies. For example, uh, devolution, the ULES, and handouts from England to the SNP, and 20 mile per hour speed limits in Wales, and the uselessness of the Met Police. Okay, cool. So this is just like a mix of grievances that right. actually aren't really related to each other 20 at all. 20 mile an hour speed limits in Wales is, it's not just... Tories doing a Labour policy. It is a Labour policy. They've got a Labour government. It's a, it's a devolved. It's a Welsh government policy. I mean, say what you will about central government policy. Say what you will about Marquesa. Like he would have really hated traffic lights. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. Don't so. Don't cite me on that. Stupid. 
Well, because it's like devolution meant that now there's a Wales can have its own speed limit as opposed to England setting Welsh speed limits, which would be much more sensible. Yeah, that's the that's the argument there. But also, it's it's just so funny to be like, oh, well, you know, the Tories are just doing the things Labour would have done and then point to a thing that Labour have literally done. It's devolution was the argument here. Right. Okay. Uh, the Human Rights Act, the rise of lawfare, and the quangoization of decision-making, which spawned monsters such as the Climate Change Committee. Again, he's pointing to things like quangoization of decision-making. That's a, that's a deeply anti-democratic current that runs through British politics that kind of does come from Blair and Brown. But this problem is that is that these anti-democratic uh, organizations, these quangos and stuff, are being run not by his friends from Tufton Street. They're not yeah. being run by, like, columnist-brained people. Oh yeah, people who hate their children. Like it's it's he's he's really what seems to be upsetting him is like no, we want a flat tax and I should be able to drive my car through a living room. Yeah, and there's not enough people with gout in charge of like you know the 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 company that runs the speed cameras or whatever. <laughs> Our bloated, mismanaged, wasteful state, the broken approach to immigration, the growing dependency on the government for job incomes and lifestyles, the top-down environmental dogmatism that threatens to ruin the lives of millions, our overextended university system, all these originated under new labor and were built on by the clueless conservatives. Which again, that is also true, but he's got it the wrong way around. It was new labor building on the work of Thatcher, more so than the current Tory administration building on the work of new labor. It's almost <laughs> as though these problems are, um, are long-standing. But then some other things that he talks about, right? Like, oh, our broken approach to immigration, or, um, or, or wokeness in general, or the fact that we have too many universities now. That was just Britain responding to dem- the demand of the global economy. Yeah. It's just, it's just what it needed at the time. <laughs> well, and also, like, again, what is he talking about? Like, you know, um, fucking, like, Labour, like, the, 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 the Tories have massively restricted immigration compared mm. to, like, what was under the Labour government. I mean, since Brexit has changed a bit because they've kind of had to overhaul the whole system, but, like, we're not letting any fucking asylum seekers, are we? Mm. Which, like, I mean, the, the, you know, new Labour, as bad as they were, probably would have let in a few more mm-hmm. than currently. So I don't really understand what its point is. Like, everything he's pointing to are things which, like, they have persisted to some extent due to the fact that it's impossible to not do them, but the Tories have slashed at them as much as they possibly could to the point where the Jenga Tower has basically fallen but over. It didn't create the utopia. Oh, right, I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't just do push the big co- real conservatism button that creates the utopia. And we all know what revolutionary mm. utopian conservatism is like, right? It generates speakers for Canadian Parliament. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> so he's basically furious that they've done everything he wants, but it hasn't worked. Well, he says, uh, in rare cases where Cameron and Osborne sought to break with labor, they picked the wrong battles. Austerity turned out to be a reversible damp squib. Of course it's reversible. Any government policy is fucking reversible, well, you lunatic, other than blow up the world. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's, the state was salami sliced rather than re-engineered and privatized. And in some cases, the wrong prospects were cut. You can't privatize the entire state. It's a contradiction in terms. <laughs> like, what, you're just going to sell the country to Serco? Like, how would that even work, you fucking idiot? <laughs> like, what, like, the prime minister is now just the CEO of Serco? Like, every school teacher is like a guy with a baton wearing one of those white shirts with, like, a fucking embroidered monogram on it? Like, how do, what would it mean to privatize the entire state? Make the CEO of Serco king. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Prince Charles works for Serco now. Yeah, is a uh, mm, he has to, he has to he has to like uh, check in on Eritrea every morning. Yeah, he's got private health care now. Yeah, yeah. Is, yeah, benefits are all right. 
Yeah. He talks like that now. Every school run by Serco. The no, home office run by Serco. Well, that's it's so close to being that already. Yeah. It's just it's what he's the, what his problem is is that the function of a state is hard to privatize and he wishes that they just threaded the ideological needle to just do it. And they didn't just do it. And that means that the Tories are doomed unless they finally try real conservatism and just do it. I feel like I'm just like losing my mind at the point where privatization of public services has so manifestly not worked and has ended yeah, but up... Their, their argument is like it's not privatized in the right way. Yeah, or enough. Right, or enough. Yeah. I mean, like fundamentally, this also does just seem like someone who's kind of would have supported Liz Truss and oh, he did. is re- yeah and is really sad and like so many of these columnists are very much just like people who felt that Liz Truss was hard done by yeah, well he literally does say that in this yeah. article that well, was a there you, you go know, the, yeah th- that forces conspired New York Marcusians probably yeah. conspired against Liz but Truss. then it's a contradiction as well because it's very much just the case of well again all, all this sort of speaks to all this sort of seems to echo this kind of broader thing about the world doesn't work in the way that I want and uh, I'm really pissed about that. And that's it. That's kind of the depth of the analysis. And then again, it goes back to this sort of sense of like, at some point, he just felt completely defeated and realized that like, whatever he was advocating for just doesn't work anymore. And he's kind of just gone off the edge. I don't think he even feels defeated. I think he just, fe- I think he feels betrayed. Because that, yeah. he's just, it's, he's always backed the winning team. And yet mm. they all, they keep doing the same sort of relic. Let's say they do the slide to the right as opposed to the leap into paradise, uh, which he seems to want, uh, saying uh, Brexit was the greatest wasted opportunity of all. Uh, mm. It was the ultimate thumbs down to the Blair project, <laughs> yet okay. it was largely neutered by foot-dragging Tories and by Boris Johnson's unwillingness to drastically remake our economy, welfare state, and machinery of state. It was neutered by the fact that it doesn't fucking work. It's a non-functioning ideology. Like you just, <laughs> you just, it just cannot be done. That is what we discovered. It is impossible without like declaring war on Ireland to do the kind of Brexit that Tory backbenchers thought they were going to have, and that was knowable before we did it. Like it was just an observable fact. But they were all like, "Oh, well, maybe if I have a go." No, it's very simple. <laughs> There are like basic rules and like <laughs> axioms to how all of these things operate, and like you, you like apples and oranges, and you can't like will them into being oranges just because like y- you know well, you want it to be. Well, there's a glimmer of hope, which is that Rishi Sunak started off poorly, but appears to have had a change of heart, uh, preventing Nicola Sturgeon's awful plan to allow gender self recognition, reversing the okay, assault cool. on cars. Uh, <laughs> Assault on cars, and then he's si- turned his function on the XL. He's focused on the XL bully, watering down extreme net zero proposals before signing off on more North Sea oil. And that's the thing, right? Like these guys, the the point of someone like Alistair Heath isn't mm. to be right, right? The point of someone like Alistair Heath is to always make sure the government moves, is to give the right somewhere to go, to give conservatism something else that it needs to revolutionize, right? Yeah. And that and, and the to all and to always be permanently dissatisfied because the right wing, the right wing utopia project, it's the point of it is that it's unreachable so that more work always needs to be done. More things need to be rolled back. There's always paradise. more racism you could be doing. Yeah. And it's very important to remember that. <laughs> you don't want people sitting on their laurels thinking I've been quite racist already. No, no, no. There is always further you could push. What about the Portuguese? 
haven't thought about them lately. <laughs> Could we drum up something about those? Uh, Sunak may now go to war against HS2, the ultimate Neo Blairite folly. Neo Blairite now. This is so good that like just like HS2 was like nearly done and they've just decided to cancel like the last five miles of track that would make it work for like no reason just just pure like pure spite and churlishness it's very like pandora not letting hope out of the box you know it's like it's really just like oh we've spent like the 200 billion or whatever all we need to do is build the last link between like fucking watford or wherever the fucking central london they're like no we're gonna save a billion pounds like less than a percent of the overall construction cost and make it <laughs> useless just you waste all of the time all of the money all of the pointless arguments that were had about where the root of the thing should go, whatever. No, fuck it. Fuck you. You're not getting a fucking train. We're going to save a billion quid and we're going to give it to fucking Serco to knock down your fucking meringue school. <laughs> so he says it was backed by Arch Blairite Andrew Adonis before being embraced by Cameron and Osborne. If anyone is an Arch Blairite, like it's ar- Andrew Adonis. Like arbitrary foreign aid targets, HS2 is a symbol of the ruling class's constructivist ideology, a totemic project that mixes pseudo greenery, bureaucratic mm. empowerment, and EU envy. How is it like foreign aid? It is literally a domestic infrastructure project to benefit the people and economy of the United Kingdom. It's as opposite to foreign aid as you could possibly get in terms of what it's trying to achieve. Well, thank you for asking. Okay. Uh, well, it's woke. We, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's woke. It's it's to make uh, everyone. It's a piece of social engineering. Woke. If you if you yeah. if uh, if the, if the uh, ticket inspector on the train uh, asks you for your pronouns and you give them the wrong ones, then you actually end up having to pay your ticket price mm. all over again. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. But it's the it's um, connecting the two Muslim no-go areas of London and Birmingham <laughs> in the hopes of building a greater caliphate across the entirety of the home county. You can't have that. Yeah. So no. it's the the argument basically is that. Um, is that thing projects like HS2 because mm. they're designed on getting people to go to one place and then go to another one place, yeah. right? Rather than having a car where they can stop on the way and start from their houses and mm. never have to interact with each other. A, and trains don't stop anywhere. Of is course. a form of social mm. interact of social engineering. Ah, yeah, okay. because well, you might have to interact with someone, but in your car, you can stay stuck on the road, and the only way you can communicate with people is by honking your horn mm. and mm. shouting. So that they can't hear you, but yeah, you can. Everyone hear on the train should get a little horn. So it's like home. it's like how Thatcher said, right? Economics is the method, and the the goal is to change the soul. HS two is the method, and the goal was to change the soul. <laughs> Thatcher sure did talk like an anime villain a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's let's hope the Conservative Party decides that it will be a proper Conservative Party committed to free market driven growth technological solutions to environmental issues, low tax, cultural conservatism, family and individual reliance, controlled immigration, and the forging of a new patriotic, anti-woke, multiracial civic identity. How is this not controlled immigration? What are, you, what are you imagining? Hermetically sealing the country? Like, literally just like kicking everyone who already lives here out and no I mean, one probably, can live in Britain? I mean, probably yes. Probably yeah. yes. Just yeah. Serco. But again, it's the point is, right, it will never be enough. Even the people who work for Serco to guard the border of Britain aren't allowed to live in Britain. They have to commute from France. <laughs> this does, I mean, this does actually sort of say, I think you're right in the sense that like, I don't even think he's really mad about half of these things. I think it is, it does sort of read to kind of be this broader question about where does the right go once it inevitably like loses 
in like electoral politics like pretty soon and that's kind of like a much broader question um the, the party right not like the right right well, in as I much mean, as in as much as the labor party is now occupied the center right space yeah but i i don't know because there's also just sort of like when the right wing are in like don't have kind of power like I think that's also. I think that's kind of one of the reasons why you're seeing Tory ministers like going to the states, like Braverman sort of being one this week, um, where it's very clearly like, okay, you're looking for a job at like an American right wing think tank. Um, the sort of attempts to import like American culture wars into the UK, some of which have sort of been quite successful, others not so much. Um, I think it kind of speaks to this broader question that a lot of these guys have, which is like, well, where does the party right actually go at this point, right? Because in 2010, when the Conservatives kind of got into coalition, but their um, their sort of pitch was very much about like fiscal prudence, and that was kind of in the lead up to, or this was like in the midst of austerity uh, and the post uh, the post 2008 recession, they were able to kind of push that. Um, fairly well. Now you're in a situation where I feel like it's kind of insane to kind of be an austerity. I mean, I say I say it's kind of insane to be an austerity party, but the current Labour Party is very much positioning itself as being that and loves to reinforce that point. But it does feel kind of insane to be like, okay, we're going to cut funding to even more so like public services to do that. So then where do they go, right? Like because if your whole sort of like political project was predicated on building the system that when in practice kind of fucked everything up so much that you could no longer insulate yourself from those problems all you really have left are like various culture wars which don't really make sense to anyone except for people who are sort of already on board which is why you then can get this mishmash of things you know that range from like yeah wokeness but also xl bullies good and also bad Limits. uh woke trains mm. uh no traffic lights uh but also there should be no trap but but also like white people shouldn't have to like wait at the re- at the red until the green man yeah. shows up you know what it is it's it's the abolish bedtime politics but for conservatives it do- i mean i mean it does mm. sort of fundamentally feel as like a real you know them whining that the world has not worked out in the way that they want to and i think like during the austerity years where lots of people did have to face the kind of um you know had did have to face the uncomforts and did have to like not even uncomforts they had to really sort of face mm. the com- complete collapse of their living standards and now we're sort of at a situation where like because austerity affects everyone this group of like very rich people who had uh, been able to insulate themselves from these problems for so long are now fe- now like facing minor inconveniences in comparison to like people who have actually been on like the brunt end of austerity and they're like throwing their toys out of the pram. Yeah. Maybe we need to use political judo. Maybe we need to use their momentum against each other and simply say, well, if they're so concerned with the aesthetics of all of these things, let's give it to them, right? Let's build a racist train. We're going to have <laughs> racist HS2, right? You know, the tracks are going to be in the shape of a swastika. The whole, every seat is going to be made out of ham. But like, finally, we'll get like, you know, the fucking, the right will get behind some high speed rail and <laughs> we'll like, deal with yeah. the other stuff later. I, I just sort of had like one last one, which is like the whole. So he's like berating the idea of like a big of of like the. But his his criticism is that the Tories didn't cut the state enough, and or that's they, what they just they they reduced it, but they didn't reimagine and privatize it so that like they did some nice cold cuts, yeah. but they didn't like you know do the do the big puck of. Salami. We're not quite living in Children of Men, <laughs> and I for one find that to be unsatisfactory. But, but even in his sort of fancy, where you sort of like make Britain a giant zaibatsu or whatever, or like you know. Like these, what, like the private comp, you know, if you're complaining that the infrastructure projects are too woke and they're kind of ruining the countryside, but like, what do you think the private companies are going to do? Like they fucked up all the rivers, like all the rivers in the countryside that 
are a very fundamental part of living mm. in the drawing that you exist in where only white people are there and everyone drives at 70 miles an hour mm. um and that's completely fine um they have like blue kind of rivers and you don't have blue rivers here they're all filled with shit and that's not like the fault of immigrants or like woke EU, in fact, the woke EU bureaucrats would try to stop you from doing that, right? <laughs> well, no, like that's it's... very much like what you wanted. You wanted your brown rivers of shit, um, mm. and now you know for you know, the, in, in modern day Enoch Bell, mo the modern day. I, I was trying to come up a bit for that, and I and I could my my brain wasn't fast enough. Yeah. But you got what you wanted, and you were very mm. upset by it. But you don't really understand why, or you're refusing to understand why you're upset by it. And so this is sort of comes off as this like angry stream of consciousness that doesn't even sound convincing. Well, you know what? Hey, maybe someone will finally try conservatism for Britain and prove you wrong, Hussein. Well, I'm yeah. Somehow Liz Truss returned. I, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for that. I, look, we can only pray, <laughs> right? At least we'd get someone fun back. You know. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Matt Hancock, Matt come Hancock, back! Oh, yeah, and he's like oh, we... SAS mercenary. Yeah, <laughs> now that he's been trained. Yeah, he's funny. He's gonna get the Johnny Mercer vote. Um, yeah. All right, all right. We're gonna talk about that on the bonus episode, of course. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, happy we birthday to Nate as well. Oh, is it today? Mm. Oh, it fuck, is. So it is. It is. It is today. Uh, one more year until he reaches the problematic age gap, and we have mm. to cut ties with him. Yep. Uh, so happy birthday to Nate and thank you very much for listening to the show there's a Patreon, there's a second episode every week you can get it for $5 a month uh, there is also a stream most Mondays and Thursdays uh, additionally our theme song is Here We Go by Jin Sang you can it find is. it on Spotify, listen to it early and often mm. uh, other than that I think we'll see you on the bonus episode oh yeah also I'm doing shows in uh, Berlin and Hamburg on the 17th and 22nd of October respectively, tickets are on my website please get tickets to that, there's also a date on Saturday for uh, Bristol on the 11th of October so please get tickets to that as well there's also going to be shows in Oxford and Birmingham yet to be on sale alright bye everybody bye bye